Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Shall I take your order or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, makes you think all the world's a sunny day. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So today we're going to talk about something that I think is a pretty interesting topic, and that's the automated description of images. This is yet another topic I came across in uh, Alexis Madrigal's Five Intriguing Things email, which Mm -hmm. if you're not signed up for, you should get on that. It it is one of my favorite sources of daily delights on Mm -hmm. the internet. So, Uh, So what is this idea? Well, it's what it sounds like, but I'll start with an analogy. Okay. Imagine you're going to something like Google Image Search. Okay. Um, Now, what happens when you do a Google Image Search? You type in some words, Mm -hmm. and it comes back with images. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of strange, because how does it translate the difference between a collection of pixels on the one hand and the words you've typed in? Well, one of the things, obviously, is that there's data. 
associated yeah. with images. Uh, metadata, metadata yeah. right. Um, it's either captions that people have manually typed in or perhaps keywords that they've attached to those images or uh, something else on the on the website's page mm-hmm. that's going to clue you into what that image is about. Like yeah. the file name or whatever. Sure. Right. Yeah. You could also use an approach that is sort of refined by humans. So you could have humans sitting there working on your algorithm where – they go through image after image from selected keywords and say, this is a good match for that keyboard and this is a bad match for that keyword. Mm-hmm. And that sort of helps you uh, connect words to images. Or let's say, what if there was no text associated with an image? Could you still do it? Well, in some cases you probably could, right? Because we've gotten to a certain level with image recognition uh, there are automated programs that can look at this and say, this is a human face. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this is a cat, as we have discussed before on the show. And we'll right. discuss again on this one, I'm sure. <laughs> right. And we, uh, we, I think we don't know the full extent to which uh, artificial intelligence like that already figures into something like Google Image Search. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a small part of it. But obviously, we're relying heavily on text yeah. mm-hmm. associated with images. Okay, but now let's take that same last example, just identifying an image with no associated text and say, could we do that with a complex scenario? So it's not just a picture of a human face or, say, a bowling ball, which would be pretty easy to recognize. You know, it's round, it's got three holes. Mm -hmm. But something like there is a pizza sitting in a bathtub or a man throwing a sandwich off a cliff. You've got a lot of food-related imagery in your in in your head here. I, well, Joe. I said those because I actually searched for them earlier before I'd had lunch. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. All right. And I found no images of someone throwing a sandwich off a cliff. Uh, well, why would anyone want to throw a sandwich off a cliff? I don't know, but you know what? I would be really surprised if there wasn't at least one picture of that out there somewhere. Well, if there's not, there's definitely a stock photography opportunity lying in wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what we're doing after the podcast. <laughs> Um, there's a reason that this would be hard, right? To describe a complex image, not just one thing, but a complex sort of scene that requires a sentence to describe it. Uh, Right. uh, right. Uh, With prepositional phrases and, and situational, um, relativity. Yeah, exactly. You have to be able to describe the relationship between all the different elements that are inside that picture. Right. And so that last example is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. How computers can look at an image with a complex scene taking place and turn that into a correct and accurate description made out of words. And, and this this goes into a, you know a key element of artificial intelligence. It's not just the ability to describe something, but the ability to recognize it it's something that can go beyond just describing a picture. And we talk a lot about how there are things that, that we humans are really good at. It's It comes naturally to us. It's the way we work. But they are things that do not necessarily come naturally to the machines we make. Uh, and the example I gave was uh, if you had a group of people, you know, you got a b- bunch of people together and you told all of them, I want you to draw this picture and you describe the picture to them. And in my case, I said, well, just imagine that there's uh, a, a, a young lady sitting at a table reading a book and just make the picture as detailed as you can. But I, all that's all I give is just mm-hmm. the elements that have to be there is there's a seated lady uh, that she's at a table and she's reading a book. 
And so you could have all these different types of interpretations of that request. Uh, sure. I might draw a picture of a lady sitting in a cafe. Right. Reading a book. Yeah. Or it could yeah. be at, at a desk at a library. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's so many different opportunities there. Uh, uh, it could just be a kitchen table, whatever. But if I took all the pictures that everyone drew and then I went to a separate group of people and I showed them those all those different pictures and I said, all right, so what do all these pictures have in common? Pretty sure that a lot of people would end up saying, OK, these are all pictures of a uh, a young lady reading a book at a table. It would be kind of weird if in every picture she was reading Tech War. That would be a very weird. That would be uh, a strange coincidence. For lots of reasons, that would be weird. But at any rate, yeah, I mean, we would have essentially people answering the same you know, giving the same basic description. Now, there are a lot of things going on in that scenario I just described. It's not just the fact that you're able to recognize things. It's that you're able to draw the conclusion that all these different pictures, even though the details are different, are showing you essentially the same thing, yeah. which is something that would be necessary if we were using an image search that relied on this automated image description. Uh, right. Well, I mean, and furthermore, we as humans are able to recognize a lady sitting at a table reading a book from any angle that it's drawn from. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, pretty easily. Yeah, we can tell, we can tell like that this is the book. This is the lady. This is the table. Uh, if you show just pixels to a machine that hasn't had any way of telling the difference between, you know, what these pixels actually mean, they might not that machine might not be able to tell that there are distinct elements in that picture. Right. It may all just look like one thing. So there are a lot of complications here. Uh, same sort of uh, we, we brought this example up a few times. Same sort of thing. Like I know what a cup is because I've seen a cup and I was told this is a cup. And, and you're able to extrapolate uh, many different kinds of cups. Exactly. Yeah. You, you have an ideal in your head. It's sort of the platonic ideal of a cup. <laughs> and there are many ways that a actual cup can vary that theme. Sure. But somehow you always recognize the theme. I, I recognize every single cup in existence as an imperfect realization of the ideal cup that's in my mind. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, which has grimace on it, by the way. Okay. But at any rate, yeah. yeah fair so, enough. so the... The, again, a computer, you could, if you gave it an image and you programmed an, uh, some software and said, this particular image that you're seeing here is a cup, but then you took a totally different kind of cup, different shape, different size, different color, the computer is not necessarily going to know what that is. Uh, uh, right, you know, right. It's going to say, well, this one's blue. Yeah, you need a huge... And it's shorter. Yeah, and it's from a different angle. It's it's one of those things where, you, you know, there's a difficult problem and there's not necessarily a simple solution to fix it so that the computer understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that this is a non-trivial computer problem that a lot of people have worked on for a long time. And it's a- absolutely amazing to see how much progress we've made. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And furthermore, this is only half of the issue that we're dealing with here overall, because once I mean, once you can teach a computer to identify, for example, a cup, uh, how do you get it to to explain what that cup is doing in relation to the other things in right. the picture? How does it describe it? Right. Yeah. In a way that actually makes sense to, to humans. humans. Yeah. Right. That's a natural language problem. Exactly right. Because the computer doesn't think in English or whatever language you want it to spit out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's And we've talked about natural language issues as well. The idea that machine language and natural language are extremely different. And in fact, programming languages are a bridge 
between pure machine language and human language. You might not think it if you're not a programmer and you look at raw code. You might think, well, this isn't language that any human would understand. But in fact, that's precisely what it is. It's meant to be that that bridging material. Right. Uh, so getting computers so that they can interpret the natural language innately is a very challenging issue. We've said it before that you can word the exact same thought numerous ways. Yeah, human language is highly, highly redundant. Yes. Yeah. There are all different kinds. And the differences in, in word choice might express subtle differences in tone and things like that. Uh-huh. But you can basically describe the same thing a kajillion different ways. Well, uh-huh. especially, and with a kajillion different spellings, furthermore. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, if you're playing an old text adventure game like Zork, yes. you could type walk down the hall or go down the hall and that text parsing system might be smart enough to know either one and get you down the hall. Say, right. okay, I, I know what the person just said. But if you type mosey on down the corridor, it may very well say, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, right. What did Zork say when you said something unintelligible? I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you were eaten by a Gru if it gets, <laughs> if it gets too frustrated at you. If you're too confusing too yeah. often, Gru they just grew you. Gru. Yeah, no, that, that's a great example. The idea that, you know, obviously those, those programs were only capable of accepting commands that had been pre-programmed into them. And anything that went outside those parameters was an error. It was mis, it, it, the, the message we would get is, I didn't understand what you had to say, but in reality, it could have just as well been file not found. Uh huh. Right. Okay, so now we're combining these two different artificial intelligence problems. On one, the complex problem of looking at a scene and and recognizing what's going on there, connecting that to other images and context, and the other one, making sense of it in a written language. Yeah. And uh, Why does this matter? Yeah, why why do we even want to do this if it's so difficult? A lot of reasons. One of the, well, first of all, we talked about image search and just being able to, to automate this would make image search way more efficient for the things that we're looking for. We could oh, yeah, be yeah. much more specific. Oh, man, if only I could tell. So part of my job is searching for stock images that uh-huh. I end up publishing on our website. And, and-, and human labeling of <laughs> stock images, if you guys have never had to search for stock images for your job before, let me tell you, it's one of the most joyous and terrifying things on the planet. Because yeah. no matter what you type in, what you're going to get back is some weird clip art some sexy ladies doing some stuff that may or may not have anything to do with what you just said. Very often and, may not. And and maybe what you were actually looking you for. You might also yeah. find maybe. some like truly weird images like a an overweight shirtless gentleman sitting at a table with a paper bag over his head, knife and fork in his hands, eating a cartoon hamster. I mean, it's some no. weird stuff on well, there. Seriously, uh-huh. I am almost positive that there is a stock photograph out there somewhere of somebody throwing a sandwich off a cliff for like they made it for diet purposes sure. or something like that. Yeah. You know, you know we're going to get be... endless examples of that. You but know that, right? If I searched for man throwing a sandwich off a cliff, I should have tried this before we started, but I'm almost positive I would not get that. Instead, I get a lady in a bikini sitting on a pinball machine. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. So. Just increasing the accuracy of image search would be one reason, right? And and there are lots of different reasons why our our image searches on these things are 
imperfect. A large part of it is that you've got people gaming the system. They're essentially putting in any tag word they can possibly think of. Sure. Because they want their images to be the ones that are purchased. Mm-hmm. But um, but if you want to play fair, then having an automated uh, description would be best because you can't curate everything by human eyes. It would just take too long. We're, we're generating too much content for that to be a realistic possibility. But another is that it could be a huge help for people who have visual impairments. So someone who is reading a, a news story, you know, someone who has who has some sort of visual impairment, maybe they're blind and there could be pictures that give more context to whatever the story is. But they miss out on that if there's not an actual description of what that picture is. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I mean, there's some content out there where uh, the caption might be playful, but doesn't actually tell you what the picture is. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Right. Absolutely. You know? So this would be a big help for people uh, who are in that situation. It also could speed up web access for people who have limited connectivity to the Internet. Perhaps it's over through a cellular network. And it may be that there's some important information they need to get hold of. But, you know, if they're trying to load pictures, it's just taking too long for it to load any kind of page. If you could have a quick summary of those pictures, it would really speed things up. Exactly. I I also think it's just an important contribution to general artificial intelligence. Absolutely. If you're trying to create a system that can mimic all of the functions of the human mind, well, one of the main things humans do is look at something and describe it. Right. And, you know, the description's just part of it. You know, there's also the interaction, right? Yeah. By, by recognizing things in our environment, we know how to proceed. Well, we can make decisions on how to proceed. So if, for example, we walk into a room and we notice that there are a lot of pedestals around us and there are delicate vases on each pedestal, we know not to go swinging our arms everywhere willy-nilly. Uh, but, you know, a, a robot would not necessarily be able to tell that a a vase sitting on a pedestal was not in fact a single piece. It might oh. it might interpret that as a column. That's a good mm-hmm. point. You know, uh, or that there's even even if it could recognize that it was an object sitting on another object, that the vase was delicate, or right. that it was worth not smashing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Robots teaching robots value is a very tricky thing. <laughs> also, they, they hate vases. They do. Hate they do. Them. It's. I think. Only I think because you program them that way. I think programming no, all 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 that's robots. Just robots. Well, oh. it's because we gave them the basic uh, personality of Gallagher is the problem. <laughs> okay, okay. So we uh, so automated image description is a very difficult problem, but it's also very worth solving both yes. in the long term for artificial intelligence and in some specific cases in the short term. Right. Who's actually working on this? Where did this come from? Well, I mean, there are lots of different people in computer science working on this problem. But the the thing that kind of uh, spur, spurred on this particular podcast, yeah. you discovered, right? Yeah, it was. Well, it, as I said, it was through uh, Alexis Madrigal's Five Intriguing Things newsletter. And it was a link to the Google Research blog, which is a cool little blog. Some yeah. of it's definitely over the average reader's head but it's also just very interesting and oh fun. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the specific uh, blog entry is from Google UK uh, and it was posted by a bunch of uh, research scientists right. over at Google mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where if you go into the Google research blog they do get um, more technical than your average blog does they're not so technical as to be completely uh, incomprehensible, but I will say... And they're really good about linking out to, yeah, to terms yeah. that you might be unfamiliar Which with. Which is important, because I had to <laughs> click on yeah, every single too. one of those links. 
I, I did so much reading for this one blog post so I could really get an, a handle on what they were saying. But again, it, it illustrates the complexity of the problem. Yeah. So again, we don't mean to suggest that these Google researchers are the only people working on this problem or that their approach is the only way to do it. We're concentrating on it because it was really well documented. Um, yeah. And it was just published on November 17th. We are recording this on November 21st. So yep. it, it was of immediate interest to us. Yes. Okay. So how are we doing this? Well, uh, first you have to identify what needs to be done before you can figure out how to do it, right? Yeah. You have to figure out the, the, the things that have to happen in order for this to be a possibility. And they identified several things, including computer vision, which is how machines acquire and analyze images. So how do they get the images in the first place? Mm-hmm. Is it purely through code? Is it actual visual, you know, is it like like a camera system? I mean, if you're talking about robotics, then it's probably a camera system because they're looking around in their environment. Yeah. Or uh, it could just be sampling from the Internet or something like right, that. Right, right. Well, with, a, with something like a, an automated search, it could all be code. Like it yeah. could be that... There's no quote unquote looking at the image, right? right? But so there's that. There's also object detection, which sounds really easy, but it's incredibly hard. So this is what I was talking about being able to recognize individual objects within an image. So what separates an object from its background? If I've got a shot, a top down shot of a table and there's a book sitting on the middle of that table, then when I look down, I can see that there's a book and there's a table, and I recognize those as two different things. But like I was saying before, if it's a machine and it, it doesn't have this way of, of telling the difference there, it may just think of that as a pattern that's on a table, you know, or even a raised part of that table if it can mm. detect depth. It's not an, it's not a cut and dry thing. So getting a point where you can have a computer that can tell that there are multiple objects within a scene, that's already a challenge, although we've gone a far way to actually do that. Uh, but imagine that you are looking at, if you want to think about how hard this is, imagine you're thinking at a, at a, uh, overgrown field and there's someone in a ghillie suit out there. A ghillie suit are those camo suits that have mm-hmm. all the, the plant type material hanging off of them. Some of it's artificial. Some of it may actually be gathered from wherever you're going. Those camouflage suits are really convincing. It's really hard to pick someone who someone who's good at at being uh, at covert. You may not even know that there's a person there, mm-hmm. and so that's as, sort as of, hard as that is for us. That's, that's about how, the equivalent of looking at a book on a table for a computer. Exactly. Yeah. You know, un, until you're able to teach a machine uh, how to how to see in a way, then it's going to ha- it's going to be just as as difficult to detect that as it would be for us to see that guy in the ghillie suit in the middle of the overgrown field. Um, but once you do get to that, you still have other things to keep in mind, like classification and labeling. So this is a measurement of how accurately a program can assign correct labels to an image. Uh, I love the example. Like if you looked at certain examples within the Google blog post, it eventually took you to a picture of a, of a dog wearing a sombrero. So you had dog hat. There's a hat on a dog. Yeah. It's a wide brimmed hat. Yep. Yeah. These are all important elements. That's part of that classification and labeling. Uh, you know, instead of just saying that's one ugly dog, cause right. you know, not being <laughs> able to tell dog. that it's wearing it's got a hat. A weird growth. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, that would be, well, uh. More than that, it's, it's, uh, dog with the hat and not just dog with something on it. Yes. Sure, sure. Yeah. So again, <laughs> it's not dog with stack of pancakes. Yeah. yeah. And identifying the fact that there is that relationship 
that there is a hat on a dog. Mm-hmm. Not just that there is a hat and a dog in the picture, but how do those two objects relate to one another within the context of mm-hmm. that picture? So that's also pretty cool. So as we've said, lots of folks have been working on the the, the problem of how to do this thing. And a common approach has been working on linking computer systems that understand what's going on in pictures with computer systems that understand what's going on in sentences and letting the two match up images and phrases. Mm-hmm. But these scientists at Google were approaching it from a different way. They're trying to create a system where the two halves work together directly with the same data rather than comparing and contrasting two separate sets of data. OK, mm-hmm. um, so they were. They were inspired to do this by recent language translation research in which one half of a system would create a diagram of a sentence in one language, uh, say English, and the second half would look at that diagram and generate a sentence from it in another language, say French. Yeah. And again, this was a part of classification. It wasn't it wasn't just a word to word. You know, what is the what is the analogous word in this other language for this the one that we're detecting here. Right, right. But rather, what is the meaning of this sentence and what is the what is the phrase in this other language that has that same meaning? meaning exactly. Because because doing word for word translations, if you've ever worked in another language, often it doesn't you doesn't work at all. Right. Yeah. You, you realize as you say it to someone who's a native speaker of that language, you said, Well, that's a very weird way of putting what you just said. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting uh, idea. And the way they do it is particularly Technical. So I'm going to take this from a very kind of high level because, well, first, I'm, I got to be totally honest. It goes so technical. I, I definitely don't understand all of it. Yeah. So well, we're talking about neural networks. Yeah. Here. So I'm trying to take it from a high enough level where I feel like I still have a general grip on what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm I, I, if I dove down any deeper, then I would most likely be giving at least equal amounts oh. information and misinformation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so so like like Joe said, we're talking about uh, artificial neural networks, which are the systems that these language researchers were using. And exactly. Google decided to go with the same thing. Yeah, they're systems that are attempting to replicate something that happens inside an organic brain. Yeah. So Anything that uh, is an artificial neural network is trying to to kind of mimic nature, essentially, at some level. Uh, some of them are more like the neural networks you would see in our brains. Some of them react like neurons, but they are arranged in a way that's very different from the way our brains are arranged. So, uh, you know, it's it, when we say these neural networks, just keep in mind, we're not necessarily talking about an artificial brain. It's, no, no, It's no. not the same thing. It's more like the uh, tiny constituents, you know, millions of which make up a brain. Right. Think of each neuron as capable of of doing uh, various processes, whatever uh-huh. those processes might be, on information that comes to it, and then send it on to other neurons, mm-hmm. which will then add their own element of whatever it may be. So one of them might be, all right, whenever I get input from uh, this other neuron, I know to perform this spe- specific uh, mathematic process, and then I know to pass it on to this other neuron. And uh, the, even that's an oversimplification, but it gives you kind of an idea of what's going on. So one of the two types of artificial neural networks used by Google, and keep in mind, there are lots of different variations of, of artificial neural networks, mm-hmm. uh, is called a convolutional neural network. 
And it's funny because when I think convoluted, I don't think of that as being a positive thing. (laughs) But convolutional neural network in this case is a feed forward neural network, which means there's an actual pathway to follow that has a beginning and an end. So think of it like, uh, you know, it's, it's got a start and, and a destination. Uh, and it, and things, always begin at the start and they always end up at the destination. And the pathway uh, has lots of neurons along it that can do work upon whatever the input is. So you you have this as the start. Um, and it's essentially there to classify objects within an image. And that data ends up getting encoded according to however you've programmed that network. Uh, right. You wind up with this with this really huge amount of data coming off of a single image. Right. And all of that gets fed into the second artificial neural network, uh, which is called a recurrent neural network, which is not a direct pathway. This is an interconnected model that creates a what is called a directed cycle. So there are several subsets of this kind of network. Uh, the fully recurrent network is the probably the easiest to imagine. That's one where every single neuron has a direct connection with e- or directed connection with every single other neuron within the network. Uh, now, these obviously get way more complicated the more neurons you add. This is one of the reasons why having an artificial brain model is so hard Mm -hmm. because you're talking on the order of 80 billion neurons to make a a simple artificial brain, 80 billion units that have interconnections with not necessarily every other node, like every other neuron, but enough to make this complicated and slow on the classical computing scale. At any rate, getting back to theirs, uh, this one is what will end up uh, processing all that information to describe the images that were classified from the first one. So the first one classifies all the stuff. This one is what creates the language used to describe those images to make them meaningful to a human audience. So that when we get the description, it actually it reflects whatever the picture shows and doesn't like it's not like a lady sitting down at a, at a table reading a book and it says frog dancing on skyscraper. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, I mean, the, the system is certainly not perfect. It's, no, it's a no. really good system. And it's neat because this this these neural networks, the other thing that these do that I didn't mention before is they can learn. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, once once a process goes through, it, if you start making that process, you know, replicating that process, either by feeding the same thing through over and over or feeding similar things through, it starts to pick up on that. So this is very similar to that idea we had about feeding in the, the thousands and thousands of images and videos of cats mm-hmm. and how the machine was able to learn what a cat was without anyone telling it what a cat was. Same sort of thing here. It's it's that same process. It, it ends up kind of like a memory, how mm-hmm. our memories are pathways of neurons that fire in a specific sequence, more or less. And every time we remember it, we're replicating that as close as we can mm-hmm. anyway, uh, sa- similar to what's going on here. Pretty cool. And like I said, to get more comp- more uh, detailed is beyond me. <laughs> yeah, beyond beyond any of us sitting at this table. Um I would check out that blog post if you get a chance because yeah. it, especially because it's got a great image where it sort of uh shows the difference between what a good description of an image looks like and what a failed description huh. looks like. Uh, and, y- yeah, and, yeah, and the it, gradients in between. Sure, sure, it had this rating system um or has it it probably hasn't been destroyed since we've made this podcast. I hope <laughs> right. not otherwise we're we're futile in telling but, you to go check it out. We're backward thinkers. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so, so humans have ranked the photos by like, well, this, 
totally has that this is an accurate description mm-hmm. yeah. all the way to this is not what that right. is. So, for example, uh, like a person riding a motorcycle on a dirt road is described with the sentence, a person riding a motorcycle on a dirt road. Mm-hmm. Aces. So, sort of a dirt road. Actually, I would say it looks kind of like a motocross track, but, oh, uh, but that's, that's close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Okay, and then it would have sort of like describes with minor errors. So uh, there was one that says, close up of a cat laying on a couch. It's a cat sitting on a bed. But, you know, good. Yeah. cat in the photo. It's not really a close up, but yeah, you know, it, it's sort of sort of what's going on. Um, My favorite was uh, the one that's labeled a refrigerator filled with lots of food and drinks. And in fact, it's some kind of parking sign with stickers all over it. Yeah, in, in a in a busy city tunnel, it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and if you look at the images, the way that they they show how the uh, computer quote unquote sees the image, which really it's just it's just a visualization for our benefit, yeah. but it shows with different color boxes around each individual element to mm-hmm. show how it how it's picking them out and labeling it. Mm-hmm. It gives you an idea, like when you when you think of it that way, you think, wow, this is a lot more complicated than I imagined. I mean, we we often think. Like, I don't know what you guys think. I shouldn't say we. I say I often think of automated image uh, description. I often will imagine the simplest of images in my head just thinking like, you know, it would look like an Apple commercial, you know, white background (laughs) with one solitary image in the middle Uh Mm -hmm. and the description of what that is. Uh, I don't necessarily think, oh, wait, no, this refers to every kind of image, including, you know, pictures of me and my friends at uh, at a restaurant with lots of other stuff going on. And like when you think about that and all the different elements that can appear in a single picture, then you realize, wow, this is, this is really amazing that they've been able to yeah, create yeah. anything remotely approaching automated image. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because I, you know, that's, that's a thing that our eyes do. They, they naturally pick out items of interest right. from visual scenes. So. Same sort of thing, again, applies with robotics. I mean, you know, I, I know this is mostly about image uh, description, but, the same kind of of processing is really important for machines, especially machines that are going to be interacting with humans on a more frequent basis to be able to recognize an environment, not just to pick out the potential obstacles that a robot might encounter so it can maneuver around them, but also just to understand, oh, these are the elements within this scene that I need to be careful around because they are either people and thus I don't want to injure them or uh-huh. they are things that are delicate and I huh. don't want to break them. Uh, well, or these are the objects that I need to interact with and this is how I might go about interacting with them. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, beyond that, to communicate information about the environment. Sure. And I mean, that's something that would be amazingly helpful if a robot could describe to you what happened three minutes ago. Yeah. You know. Well, the- and and for robots, we often talk about robots used for first responders, a robot mm-hmm. that could be able to not just look for signs of life, but actively describe the environment back to operators so that, yeah, sure, sure. you know, I mean, you know, say, say like, oh, hey, uh, that pillar is down over there right. and uh, the floor is caved in over here yeah. and there's a pile of debris. And yeah. yeah, yeah, because there are a lot of sensors on a robot that can detect things that don't necessarily translate into direct visual data for us, you know, not just the cameras, but other things, infrared sensors, stuff that, you know, would need some processing on our end to make it meaningful. But if it's able to communicate directly that information, that would be incredibly helpful. So uh, a very important part of artificial intelligence. And again, I think it also illustrates that artificial intelligence is a much bigger 
uh, idea than just a machine that quote unquote thinks like we do. That's the way a lot of us will describe it. Like that, that's kind of my go-to thought whenever I hear the words artificial intelligence, mainly I guess because of Hollywood. But, uh, the reality is it, it encompasses way more than that. So, uh, excellent work on uncovering that little uh, item and, and suggesting it, Joe. I think it made a great topic. Uh, as I've said, it weren't me. <laughs> well, you saw it and then yeah. you brought it to our attention. If it hadn't been for you, we probably would have been talking about something that would not have required me to fire my entire brain at it for a day and a half of solid research. Well, I spend most of my time trying to figure out weird ways to make you exercise your neurons because I need those healthy for something I'm planning on doing in a couple months. That's that's, that's fair. not creepy at all. Good, good. That's great. I personally thank you, Joe, because otherwise I'd just be sitting here drooling. So... <laughs> I, you know, sure, your plan is likely nefarious, but I'm a, I'm going to go along with it because it's benefiting me in the short term. What's your blood type? So forward thinking, <laughs> if you have suggestions for future topics, you should get in touch with us and let us know what those are. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Google Plus, on Facebook or on Twitter. At Twitter and Google Plus, we have the handle fwthinking. Just search for that at Facebook. We'll pop right up. Let us know what you want to hear about. Or maybe you want to chime in. Or maybe you found that that stock image of a of a man throwing a sandwich off a cliff. Oh, I want to see that. If you send it in, I will replace whatever image I originally put with this podcast and use that. And uh, <laughs> and we'll even uh, we'll even throw a credit in. We'll say that you know you were the one who who found it for us. So. Uh, oh well, assuming now there are photo permissions. Also, yes, yes, so we have to be able to. We have to warning. be able. We have to be able to use it. Uh, with permission. So if it's if it's a stock photo that we you know from a stock company that we actually use, then we can uh, we can totally do that. And uh, so as long as that all lines up, I know that's a lot of ifs. You'll get credit for it. And just think, you two will have have contributed to our forward thinking uh, quest of people throwing food off of high elevations. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> get in touch with us, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.